Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. What's up, Lake Point family? Great to see you guys. I want to welcome all of our campuses, uh, White Rock and Forney and Firewheel and Richland and Town East and Rockwall and those of you that are joining us online. So grateful we get to do this together this weekend. My name is uh, Mike Bro. in case we never met before, and uh, I get to be on the teaching team at, at this amazing place. And we are in part two of a little two-part series that we're calling Cycle Breaker. And I told you last week I got inspired by those goofy progressive commercials. You know the ones I'm talking about with the, with the Dr. Rick guy that's trying to help younger people from becoming like their, their parents. I mean, they, they make me laugh every single time they come on. And the, la- the latest one about parking at the football game, you've seen that one? It's a classic, so they can leave in the third quarter. I mean, it's just classic. Well, we acknowledged last week that there are some things that we have learned along the way, uh, some good things and some unhealthy things that we learn not just from our parents or not just from our family of origin, but also from our culture, from uh, our friendships, things we picked up at school, things we picked up on the playground, things we picked up in the locker room, on the job, even, even, even at church. There were lots of people in lots of places in our lives that have shaped us along the way. And if you and I aren't intentional about naming and examining those things, if we won't take the time to slow down and purposely unlearn some things, we're pretty much destined to keep on repeating those generational cycles. Now, if you missed last weekend, uh, you can check it out online. We, we talked uh, last week about doing a little self-reflection. Uh, we took a couple of lessons from those giant uh, California redwood trees, and we said, if we're going to become cycle breakers in our life, then we have to examine our rings and we need to extend our roots. We talked about rings and roots, rings and roots, just to take an honest look at any patterns that we might be repeating, any trauma that we're still holding on to that has us stuck, any scripts that we were handed along the way where we thought that was the role we were supposed to play in the family movie. And we talked about turning down the noise and just getting vulnerable with ourselves, getting vulnerable with God, and getting vulnerable with somebody else so that we can end the cycle of generational dysfunction, and we can really start to flourish. And last week, we smashed a couple of verses together, and we prayed this prayer together. We said, search me, O God. Show me your ways, teach me your paths, guide me in your truth. Won't you say that with me again? Search me, O God. Show me your ways, teach me your paths, guide me in your truth. Search me, O God. Not him, not her, not them. Search me. Show me, teach me, guide me. Now, maybe you have a hard time praying a prayer like that because, honestly, you're not real sure about God. 
I mean, perhaps all this church stuff is pretty new to you. You really don't know much about religion or about God or about Jesus. And if that's you, I cannot tell you how excited I am that you're here today. We're honored that you're here, especially this weekend, because you need to know that God just honors and responds to people who will humbly search for him. Or, or maybe growing up, your, your family would show up at church maybe on Christmas Eve and you would like light a candle and you stood there and you wonder what the heck is all this about anyway? And perhaps you, you, you were involved in some kind of very you know, legalistic type of, of religion or maybe a, a toxic type of religion, maybe even a cult-like religion in the past. Or maybe you had a bad experience with a church or with somebody who called themselves a Christian. Or perhaps you've even been a victim of spiritual abuse or manipulation or you've been taken advantage of in some way and all of it was done in the name of God. Or maybe you've had expectations about God that were shattered when he didn't seem to come through for you in the way you thought he should. Or maybe you're not even sure whether God exists. So wherever you're at, wherever you've been, I just thought it might be helpful for us to dive in today and explore some of the things that we might have been taught along the way about God. And maybe we can learn a few new things, but perhaps even more importantly, we could unlearn a few old things together today. I read an awesome book uh, this past spring called With uh, by Sky Jahani, and I would recommend to anybody on a spiritual journey. But I'd like to borrow the framework and some of the content of that book to unpack some of this today. He takes five prepositions. Y'all remember prepositions from English class? He takes the words under, over, from, for, and with to describe five different ways people relate to God and see life. Now, I, I, don't, I don't mean to brag, but I'm a pretty gifted artist. Most of you don't know that about me. And I brought some incredible artwork today to help navigate through all of this. And the very first category or posture that people take is life under God. I told you it was incredible artwork. <laughs> Stick figures is all I got. That's all I got. But way back in ancient times, it was believed that the universe was not governed by the, like the laws of nature, but by the wills of the gods. For instance, summer did not come because the earth's axis shifted so more sunlight reached the northern hemisphere. Fall didn't come because they were ready for some football. It came because the gods willed it to come. And the gods, or God, were seen as very, very moody, temperamental, a bit fickle. So if you offered sacrifices, performed certain rituals, perhaps you could appease the gods or God. And if you did, you stood a much better chance of getting rain and good crops and good health and financial success and so on. But dang, you better not get on his bad side. Man, I live with this perspective for a lot of years. I was afraid of God, scared to death of God. Now, there is a healthy fear of God that the Bible talks about, but that term of fear is a term of respect and awe and honor and worship and love. I mean, it's one thing to quote unquote, fear God the way the Bible talks about, quite another to be afraid of God. And I was afraid of God. This life under God posture just makes us afraid of him. I used to see God as this invisible creature out there somewhere who was almighty, and he seemed to be on this, you know, authoritative ego trip. So I did not want to tick him off. And I've learned that any way of relating to God predicated on fear kind of throws you in to a spin cycle of 
fear, appease, control. That's the way you live your life. You're scared to death of God, and you figure, i got to appease him some way so I can grab some semblance of control of my life. And you spend your lifetime navigating this series of don't do this and don't do that. And instead of ever really getting to know God, the lover of your soul, you spend a lifetime living with the insecurity that most likely you have made him mad in some way. That's life under God. Now, the life under God posture was a popular teaching back in the days of Jesus. It dominated Jewish culture. The popular belief about God followed this simple, simple formula. God blesses the righteous, and he curses the unrighteous. It was taught that if you obey his commands, or at least appear to, you can avoid trouble and disease. You can amass wealth. You can get promoted. You can find favor with God. Consequently, those with material Blessings were seen as righteous people. And those who suffered disease or hardships or disabilities, well, they suffered because they were obviously sinners. There's a time recorded in John chapter 9 in the New Testament of the Bible where Jesus gives sight to a man who was born blind. And it says this, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who'd been blind from birth. Rabbi or teacher, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? You see, that's just what they'd been taught for generations. And Jesus answers, well, it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. This precious man is about to bring glory and honor to God. And Jesus heals him. I mean, at every opportunity, Jesus dismantled this life under God kind of thinking. Breaking the rules did not automatically mean calamity was going to fall on you. And obeying all the rules did not guarantee that your 401k would grow and you would avoid COVID. He would often confront the religious leaders of the day who tried to place all these heavy burdens and expectations on people's shoulders saying, if you follow all of these specific rules... And all these specific rituals, including the ones that we made up, if you don't do it, God's going to drop the hammer on you. And that list of requirements that the people were expected to obey were, were referred to as a yoke, like that heavy beam of wood that was placed on oxen, the yoke. In contrast, with all these heavy burdens and expectations the religious leaders placed on people's shoulders, check out what Jesus says. He says, Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. You see, this rule keeping life under God is a heavy way to live your life. It cannot give us rest. It cannot give us peace. It cannot sweep away our fears. It cannot reconnect us with the lover of our soul. It can't transform us from the inside out. It can't produce in us any tangible hope whatsoever. But Jesus can. Then there's the posture of life over God. This is the perspective of atheism and humanism that says, there is no God, therefore we are. I call the shots, I chart the course, I make the rules, I control my destiny, I am self-sufficient for I am Mike Almighty. Now, it, it might not be the same as full-blown atheism, but there is a perspective commonly referred to as deism that many people, many, many Christians even, 
buy into that pretty much says there probably, there probably is a God, but he started the world like a self-propelled lawnmower, and now he's kicking back on his heavenly front porch sipping lemonade, just watching us all struggle down here. He's like, he's like an absentee father. He's a deadbeat dad. He's, in, he's inactive. He's, he's uninterested. He's unconcerned. He's uninvolved in daily life. Therefore, somebody has to be God, so might as well be me. That's life over God. And you see, we, we, we can believe in God and at the same time live as if he doesn't exist. And with this view, our faith can get reduced to nothing more than some quote-unquote godly principles that work for us. Rather than seeing the Bible as a way to get to know God, we can just kind of Google search it for some things that will make our life easier. Some ideas that might help us achieve our goals and give us control over our lives and other people. Now, please don't get me wrong. I have a very, very high view of Scripture. I read it. I teach it. I meditate on it. I try to memorize it, stick it in my heart. I try to live by its God-inspired authority. I love God's Word. But listen, gang, the primary purpose of God's Word is for you and me to get to know Him. We can actually replace a relationship with God for a relationship with the Bible. And we can reduce our faith to a series of five ways to a better marriage, raising kids God's way, managing your finances with kingdom principles, seven biblical laws of leadership, 12 steps to recovery. And we can say, I'm not so sure about the whole God and Jesus thing, but hey, this stuff works for me. I mean, if we have the book, do we really need the author? So we can set God aside in order to remain in control of our lives. Former atheist C.S. Lewis, who before he found Jesus used to embrace this life over God posture, he once said, God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it's not there. There is no such thing. And life over God has been going on since the Garden of Eden when mankind, including me and you, says we want to be God. And gang, if we seek to take God's place by either denying his existence or by pushing him aside as irrelevant, then this life over God posture takes us to only one place. And that's life without God. And that's just no life at all. Then there's the posture maybe you can relate to more, is life from God. Life from God. This is the posture that, that makes God sort of like, remember, remember the, uh, the blue genie from the, the, the Disney animated movie uh, Aladdin? Remember that guy? Remember how it was vo- he was voiced by Robin Williams, the, the genie, Mr. Aladdin, sir, what will your pleasure be? Can I take your order? Jot it down. You ain't never had a friend like me. Da, 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 da. Remember that guy? The blue genie? That's that guy. Life from God sees God like that. He's my genie. He's my vending machine, the divine vending machine. I just punch in the right number, and out comes whatever I want. And this life from God posture, man, it just gets fueled by our consumeristic thinking. Now, just help me out. Make me feel better about myself, but um, just wondering for my own sanity. Anybody else been talking about something or searching for something? The next thing you know, you're scrolling through social media, and there's the thing you were talking about. Anybody else? It's weird, isn't it? It is creepy even. They know what we're talking about. 
They know what we're searching for, and therefore we are bombarded by anywhere from 4,000 to 10,000 ads every single day, all telling us that we're lacking in some way. So this life from God fits perfectly into our consumeristic mindset. Now, to be clear, Scripture reminds us repeatedly that everything we have comes from God. Jesus' brother James tells us in James chapter 1, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes. He never casts a shifting shadow. And Jesus himself tells us to ask our good Father for whatever we need. But this life from God posture has a tendency to expect things from God to live with a sense of entitlement instead of a sense of gratitude. Instead of just living grateful for God's presence, we expect God's provision. In its extreme form, it's known as the prosperity gospel or the health wealth gospel or the name it and claim it gospel. And lots of people out there promoting that kind of stuff. And I think that's why Jesus warned us how easily our hearts can be duped and stolen by that kind of thinking. It's because the danger is this, God stops becoming our treasure. And he starts becoming only how we acquire our treasure. Sky Jahani writes in his book, he says, life from God is so appealing because it doesn't ask us to change. Our comforts, our values, our wants are projected onto God, and we seek religious systems that affirm those desires. Life from God is nothing more than consumerism with a Jesus sticker slapped on the bumper. Jesus one time told a story to illustrate God's relationship with people. It's known as the parable of the prodigal son. You may have heard that famous story. It shows God's character, but it also is a vivid illustration of this life from God mindset. Because the younger son in the story, the prodigal who takes his dad's inheritance and then squanders it in, in a wild lifestyle, this kid valued his father's gifts much more than he valued his father. He wanted everything his dad could give him. And once that happened, the relationship was no longer necessary. And gang, it's no different with us. We can seek a relationship with God as a means to an end. We can value what the Father can do for us and not the Father himself. And when we fixate only on what we can get from God, we fail to experience his peace and his presence. And then there's the posture of life for God. This one hit me between the eyes because I have fallen into this posture a time or two in my life. And maybe you have as well. This is where we say, hey, I'm on mission, man. I'm only here for a while. I'm passionate about transforming this world. I'm not, I'm not consumeristic like those other life from God Christians. I'm about doing things for God. Now, none of this dismisses the incredible importance of God's calling in our life. I mean, we went through a series recently called Thriving in Babylon where we talked about, you know, being salt and being light and making a difference in this world. We're supposed to be difference makers. But gang, I'm just telling you, it's so easy to put the mission in the place of God. I've done it. And before we know it, our mission, our purpose, our gifting, our calling, our ministry honestly starts becoming our God. Let me ask those of you that might be more familiar with the Bible. Who would you say within the pages of the New Testament is like, you just go, man, that, that, that guy is sold out. 
driven, passionate, on mission, change the world kind of guy. Who would you think of? Yeah, most immediately think of Paul. I mean, the dude is out there risking his life. He's traveling, he's preaching, he's planting churches, he's sacrificing, he's jumping in and out of prison simply because of his faith in Christ. You would say, man, now that's a guy living for God. And although his mission did dominate his life, it did not define his life. Everything in his life, including God's calling on his life, took a backseat to his number one passion, God himself. He was a guy who had done all of these under, over, from, and for, all of them. And look what he writes in prison because of his calling. He writes this in Philippians 3. I just want to know Christ. That's it. I just want to know Jesus and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him if need be, sharing in his death so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Above everything else, my main passion is just knowing Christ. He also wrote this passionate plea for you and me. He said, let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will actually overflow with a lifestyle of thankfulness. And out of all the things this guy could have prayed for us, he says this in Ephesians 3, I pray that you may have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ. Though it's too great to understand fully, then, then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. This is a guy saying with every ounce of passion within him, you just got to get to know Jesus. You got to grasp and experience his love because if we don't experience God's love, we will continue to search for acceptance and security and significance. And honestly, Sometimes people who fear a life of insignificance are the most driven to accomplish great things for God. Gordon MacDonald calls this way of life missionalism. It's the belief that your worth is determined by what you achieve in your life. He writes this, missionalism starts slowly and gains a foothold in the leader's attitude. Before long, the mission controls almost everything. Time, relationships, health, spiritual depth, ethics, convictions. In advanced stages, missionalism means doing whatever it takes to solve the problem. In its worst iteration, the end always justifies the means. The family goes, health is sacrificed, integrity is jeopardized, and God connection is limited. And it all starts with this life for God perspective. You know the story that Jesus told about that prodigal kid? It's only half the story. There's another son. Very, very different from his life from God younger brother. This guy was reliable. He was trustworthy. He was obedient. And he represented those who live life for God. So this guy's wild younger brother comes home. The dad embraces him, throws a huge party to celebrate his return. But the older brother is not having any of it. He throws a fit, refuses to go to the party, says to his dad, all these years I have served you. I've been the good kid. I've worked hard. And this irresponsible jerk comes home and you throw a party? Man, I've never had a party. After all I've done for you. And this is the thanks I get. Jesus told this story in front of a bunch of religious leaders who got their significance from working for God. 
And Jesus isn't telling them that faithful service is wrong, but when you and I find our worth there, it becomes all about you. And that leads to entitlement and self-righteousness and resentment and bitterness and anger and a very smug arrogance. And that is a heart that's very, very far from the Father. You see, for both sons, all the Father ever wanted was for them to be with him. That's all they ever wanted. That's all he's ever wanted for us. When he looks at you, he sees his child created in his image and radically loved. He sees somebody that he's been longing to do life with. I mean, if you go back to the very beginning, the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, talks about how God created uh, man and woman and created them to do life with them. It says, it's, 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 in fact, it says in the book of Ephesians, it says, long before he even laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind. It settled on us as the focus of his love, to be made whole and holy by his love. We were created in the very beginning in his image so that we might live in relationship with him as the focus of his love. God's original intent for us to live with him is also on display in the closing chapters of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, where John writes this, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. From start to finish, from Genesis to Revelation, we were made to do life with God. And I'm just telling you from personal experience, because I've done all of these things, with changes everything. It changes everything. Now, you might be thinking, I hear you, man, but he wouldn't want to do life with a guy like me, with a gal like me. I, there's no way God wants to do life with me. I got, I got a friend who's been sober for a long time now, and he has sponsored and helped all kinds of people. And he would talk about how he would uh, meet new guys uh, in, in the recovery program, and, he would, and they would say to him, I hear you talking about God, but man, there's no way. There's, there's no way I would turn my life over to God. He'd ruin it. And I, you know, I'd probably deserve it. He would then help them, help them kind of unpack their, their perception of their loveless, demanding, judgmental God. And my friend would say to them, you know what? You ought to fire that God of yours. You got the wrong God for recovery. Because the God who operates here is loving and kind and encouraging and forgiving and strong and honest and will always be there for you. Yeah, I had a God like yours when I first came in here. Had to fire him, get a new God. Now, please don't misunderstand me. You can't fire God, and there is only one God. It's just that the God many of us perceive is not the true and living God. We need to fire our misperceptions of God. I had to fire my old God. I had to unlearn some stuff about him, and I had to learn about his true character. And that's why studying the life of Jesus has helped me so much. I believe that Jesus not only came to lay down his life for our sins, don't get me wrong, that's huge, but he also came to show us, to show us what God is really like. And I learned that God is love. 
And he is a God who embraces outcasts like me and fights for the underdog and touches the untouchables and mends the brokenhearted. I discovered that he really likes people like me, that he really wants to do life with people like me. It was eye-opening for me to read about Jesus and the way he interacted with all kinds of people. And I would encourage you to read the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Gospel simply means the good news of God's love. Maybe start with John and just get to know Jesus. It has revolutionized, still is revolutionary for me, as well as some of these scriptures that have helped me and made me want to know God better and just to be with him. This is just a mere sampling of many I could have chosen. Like Psalm 56, you keep track of all my sorrows. You've collected all my tears in your bottle. You've recorded each one in your book. That tells me he cares very deeply about me. Psalm 103, the Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He's our creator. He remembers that we're only dust. He knows us inside out and he cares. Psalm 32, unfailing love surrounds those who trust the Lord. There's only one place in this world to get 100% unfailing love and it's with him. Psalm 130, hope in the Lord for with the Lord there is an unfailing love and an overflowing supply of salvation. 1 Peter chapter 5, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He says, just give them to me. I'm stronger than you. He, Hebrews 13, 5 says, don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I'll never fail you. I'll never abandon you. He's not an absentee father. He's not a deadbeat dad. Isaiah 43, God says, when you go through deep waters, I will be with you. You. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. I will be with you. In his famous song that David writes about God being a shepherd, he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And gang, if I know all these things about God, if I know I'm eternally safe in the arms of the good shepherd, I'm set free from my spin cycle of fear, appease, control. I am free to enjoy the present instead of stressing out about the future. I'm free to forgive other people rather than hold on to resentment or grudges. I'm free to give rather than to hoard my stuff. My search for acceptance, my search for security, my search for significance is over. And it all starts by knowing that God wants to do life with me. What's incredible about God is that he makes the first move to restore the broken relationship that we had broken. And it's no surprise that when God desired to mend our broken relationship, he sent his son Jesus, Emmanuel, which literally means God with us. You see, God's plan to restore us was not to send us a bunch of unrealistic rules and rituals to keep so that we might appease God in some way. God's plan to restore us was not to give us some godly principles that will help us gain control over our life so that we really don't need God. We just got the book. We don't really need the author. God's way of restoring us wasn't to give us a genie that gives us whatever our hearts desire. God's way of restoring the broken relationship with us was not giving us something to accomplish that we could prove our worth for him. No. Emmanuel just came to be with us, to once again walk with us, to once again work with us, to talk with us, to laugh with us, to cry with us. He came to do life with us. 
Oh, when I think about my God, who made the stars and named them, who took earth and sea and framed them, pulled back ocean tides, restrained them, breathed life into his own and claimed them. Oh, when I think about my God, who before he gave the wind direction, before he assigned the moon's reflection, before he painted the leaves' complexion, he settled on us as his main affection who despite our rebellion pursued us. Though sin skewed us, he viewed us priceless, chose not to exclude us or let grace elude us, but instead he came to us. Now sin cannot choke us, crush us, or beat us. Shame will not conquer, condemn, or defeat us. We are alive because he is alive. We rise up because he is risen. We know love because he first loved us. And Jesus came not only to reveal what God is like, but he did come to restore that broken relationship that our sin and rebellion had caused. He first loved us. On the cross, Jesus took our rap and died our death and opened up a way for us to be with God forever. You can know God. You really can know God. Instead of life under, over, from, or for God, you can do life with God every day. You can walk in the, in, in the awareness of his 24-7 presence in your life. You can talk to him like a friend constantly all day long. You can lean in him throughout the day as your loving father. You can know that he is going to go to work with you. You can know that he is walking down the halls of school with you, riding the school bus with you, going to practice with you. You can know that he's sitting with you in that ICU waiting room. You can follow his wisdom down better paths as he leads you all through the day through his word and his spirit. In fact, scripture tells us that when we give our lives to Christ, not only is he with us everywhere we go, but he takes up residence in us. You can know and experience his love. You can find your worth and your identity in what he says about you. You can walk in freedom. You can walk in peace. You can walk in hope. And you can start becoming a cycle breaker. I'm telling you, doing life with him, it changes everything. And that's what he invites you to do. And I want to give you some space today to take him up on that invitation. Maybe just a simple prayer from your heart and humility say, God, I just want to come home. I want to do life with you. And Jesus, I believe you made a way for this to be possible. And I accept your sacrifice and your forgiveness for my sin. Thank you. I just want to trust you to lead my life. I just encourage you to pray a prayer like that in your own words. Just nothing fancy, nothing scripted just the real you, the one he loves. And he's not distant. He's here right now. And he wants to meet with you. Let me just lead us in prayer. Um, Father, as I uh, look at all these goofy little pictures and put them on these stands, it just uh, it hit me how I've done, I've done all of this lived a lot of my life scared to death, didn't want to screw up, knew you are just willing to take me out, felt so worthless. Then there's times that I've just been, I have been Mike Almighty, and I try to do life over you and expect things from you. There's even been times in ministry I've 
want to do life for you. And that ministry became my idol. It became my God. Had nothing to do with you. And God, I ask for forgiveness for all that. Thank you for helping me unlearn some stuff, some junk that's been stuck in me for a long time. And my deepest prayer today is that everybody listening would just know that your deepest desire has always been to do life with us, just to be with us. God, I pray that somebody today will find freedom in that. I pray that today, right now in this moment, somebody will say, Jesus, I want to do life with you. I accept your forgiveness. I want to live forever. I want to walk through my days knowing your power, knowing your wisdom, experiencing your love, feeling accepted and secure and significant, not looking for other stuff to bring that to me. Father, thank you for making all that possible. Thank you for your deep, deep desire to do life with us. And it's in Jesus' name I pray all this. Amen. Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church digital.